Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. This is the bacon episode. We are going to spend the next 30 minutes or so talking about bacon, red meat, and the recent news from the World Health Organization. And I've gotten a lot of questions about this over the last week, and it was on my list to tackle, and we are going to get to it. Before we do that, I want to try something a little new. So on the last episode, I was trying to help out a bunch of you who are trying to get your hands on the free cheat sheet about carb strategies for fat loss by getting on the VIP email list where I send out weekly tips and recipes and workouts and things like that. But I realized that many of you aren't at your computers when you're listening to this. So going to a website, typing in the URL, putting in your name and email address can be more than you can do when you're on the treadmill or taking a walk or washing your dishes or whatever. I want to make it easier and we're going to try something totally new because I I understand the value in the cheat sheet. That's why I, I have it out there. And I also want you guys to very easily be able to communicate with me via email so that when topics come up like this that you guys want to know more about with this bacon example, you can let me know really easily. So here's what you need to do if you want to get that cheat sheet and get on that free VIP email list. Text the word PRIMAL text the word PRIMAL, doesn't matter if it's uppercase or lowercase, to the number 44222, all right? So you're going to get a, start a new text message. The number you're going to text it to is 44222. And in the body of the text, like if you were typing a text message, you'll text the word PRIMAL. I'm kind of proud of that one. I'm kind of, you know, stepping into new age technology. Welcome to 2015, Elizabeth. But that is where we are at. So if you want to get that cheat sheet, if you want to get on the VIP email list, text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222. All right, bacon. What in the world has happened this week with bacon? Is it real? Is it not real? Should we stop eating bacon? And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we'll get to that too. So basically, the World Health Organization dropped a bomb. Everybody's kind of in a tizzy about bacon. Oh my gosh, should I stop? Is it going to cause cancer? And I want to clear everything up for you. So basically what happened is bacon, sausage, all your other processed meats are now with the with the uh, sort of kumbaya of the World Health Organization are ranked right alongside cigarettes, tobacco, asbestos as known carcinogens, right? So basically they've come out and said that bacon causes cancer and that red meat probably does too. They categorize these carcinogens or these cancer-causing agents in four groups. And the groups go like this. Number one, 2A, 
2B, and 3. So group 1 are those things that they feel are the most potent carcinogens, the most likely things to cause cancer. Well, processed meat, including bacon, now falls into that first category, group 1, ranking as high as basically tobacco exposure, um, as well as HPV and asbestos red meat lands in category 2A. So it's a pretty strong categorization. It's not like they put it in 3 or 2B. They put processed meats in group 1 that has what they consider to be the most potent carcinogens. So people are concerned. But I want to say this, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend maybe a little bit more time than normal talking about the research, talking about what the World Health, World Health Organization had to say about it, if you need to be concerned. But first, I want to say this, especially to the people who are like, oh, my God, do I need to stop eating bacon? Have you looked at what is on these these classification lists? Have you looked at the items that they have placed into these classifications, either one 2A, 2B, or 3. And I'm going to link to this list and all the things that are in group 1, 2A, 2B, and 3 in the show notes over on primalpotential.com so you can see it for yourself. But in case you don't want to do that, you know what else is in group 1? And everybody's kind of, oh my gosh, it's as bad as tobacco. Well, do you know what else is in there? Alcoholic beverages. And I dare say that these people that are screaming about how scary bacon is and how we all need to stop eating bacon, they're not stressing about wine, right, or liquor or beer. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get in deeper to why they put it there and what it all means. But, you know, moderation in all things. I went through this entire list. There's just over a thousand things on the list. Also in category one, oral contraceptives and estrogen therapies, salted fish, Sunlight, alcoholic beverages. So, you know, tamoxifen, a drug used to treat breast cancer, is in category one as a known carcinogen. So we have to, I think sometimes we have a tendency to hear one piece of information and then be like, oh my God, what do we do? Have you heard about this? What are you doing? Are you going to stop eating bacon? I'm going to look at the list first. I'm going to get all the information first. And you know what? Hey, I'm not saying you should have done that. That's what I'm here for, right? I am happy to go dig in, do my research, and give you my opinion. But keep in mind that it's my opinion. And if you are very concerned about this, then I really encourage you to take the time. Some people are like, eh, whatever. Bacon's great. I'm eating bacon. Um, but if you are very concerned about this, I really do encourage you, don't just read one thing from one group and then decide, oh, this is dangerous. Really look, because again, sunlight is in category one. Oral contraceptives, alcoholic beverages, salted fish, tamoxifen, all sorts of things. I think it's also very important to establish that what the World Health Organization is doing here is identifying some if something is a carcinogen based on the strength of the scientific evidence, but what they are not considering is the relative risk. So they're saying, is there scientific evidence that this might be a carcinogen? If there is strong enough evidence, they are going to place it in one of these categories. But they are not saying, how much does this thing increase your risk by? That's really important, guys. That is very, very important because the reality is this. Just about, and this is not me being an alarmist. I think you guys know I'm far from that. 
but just about everything that we touch, eat, breathe, put on our bodies and, you know, in terms of topicals or water could be considered a carcinogen in just about every possible way. So the amount of risk or your relative risk is a huge piece of the puzzle that I think is missing in this discussion. And that's one of the things I want to talk about on on the podcast, right? So according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and I will link to the source for this on the show notes at primalpotential.com, smoking increases your risk of lung cancer by about 2,500%, okay? 2,500% increase. Eating two slices of bacon every single day without missing a day ever increases your risk for colon cancer by about 18%. And that sounds like a lot, 18% increased risk. I'm not saying that it is or it isn't, but we can't just put these two things side by side, smoking and eating bacon, and say they have the same potential to cause cancer. The relative risk is a very significant factor here. If smoking increases your risk of lung cancer by 2,500% and eating two slices of bacon increases your risk of colon cancer by 18%, if you eat it every single day, I think it can be a little misleading to just have this blanket statement. But, you know, that's what the media does. It's about sensationalism and headlines and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to water it down. If anything, they're really going to concentrate it for the impact and to get people talking. And, um, yeah, we're all talking about it. I'm talking about it, right? You guys are emailing about it. So we have to really take a look at the big picture. And you might be thinking, 18%, that's a lot. But bacon is not the only food we're talking about here, okay? And what I mean by that is you have to consider the alternative. You might be someone who is actually lowering your risk by eating bacon. And what does that depend on? The alternative. What would you eat instead of bacon, right? So if you're having bacon every day instead of a fried chicken biscuit and a Coke, right? You're, you've switched to two eggs and bacon. Like that is going to decrease your overall risk. So it's relative, relative. And beyond that, let's put in some context. An 18% for on the average individual, increasing your risk for colon cancer by 18% if you're eating bacon every single day means that your individual risk of colon cancer goes from 5% to 6% if you're eating bacon every single day, okay? So we have to, it's easy to look at something and then go, ah, I'm getting a cancer because I eat bacon. Well, let's compare it relative to tobacco. It's not even a blip on the radar. And we're talking about if you did it every single day, all other things being equal, your risk would go from about 5% to 6%. But then you also have to consider, like for me, I talk about this all the time on the show, right? Before I started this most significant phase of my weight loss, I was having Chick-fil-A and a diet soda every freaking morning. Does bacon and eggs represent an improvement from an obesity risk standpoint and from a risk uh, of of cancer and other things, absolutely it represents an improvement. So it's relative to what you would choose if you weren't eating bacon, right? There's certainly more toxins in processed meats. I shouldn't even say certainly. There can be more toxins 
in processed meats than non-processed meats. Now, you can buy very low-quality non-processed meats, and they can be full of all sorts of crap because you don't know what the animals were eating, what kind of hormones they were being injected with, what kind of antibiotics they were being treated with. But generally speaking, there is the spectrum, and we do want to move towards whole foods, less processed foods than more processed foods. And there are also some bacons that are more highly processed than others, right? Now, nitrates is something that comes up when we talk about bacon and processed meats. When I'm talking about processed meats, we could be talking about salami, pastrami, sandwich meats, deli meats, that sort of stuff, right? I used to be really concerned about uh, nitrates, and I used to spend more money on nitrate-free bacon, I'm not really like a deli meat kind of person um, until I did my research. And, you know, I love to indulge my inner science geek. So let me do that here for a second. Get this. The majority of the nitrates and or nitrites, kind of pretty much the same thing. We can kind of use that term interchangeably for the most part, doesn't come from food. It is generated. These nitrites, nitrates are generated within our own body. Our saliva accounts for up to 90, 90% of our total nitrite exposure, more than anything you would get from food. But let me blow your mind a little bit more. The number one source of nitrites in the human diet, vegetables, they contribute over 90% of the nitrites that we consume. Arugula. Butter lettuce, four servings of celery or beets. If you combine this, one serving of arugula, two servings of butter lettuce, four servings of celery or beets, right? All of those things have more nitrites than 467 hot dogs. The amount of nitrites found naturally in vegetables far exceeds that found in hot dogs. And I'll give you some specific numbers in a second. But this is because primarily of the bacteria naturally found in vegetables, right? This isn't about like buying low quality stuff. This is regardless if you're buying organic or conventional, right? Our nitrites and nitrates are coming primarily from vegetables. Now, when we talk about hot dogs and bacon, there are limitations on the total amount of nitrates allowed in these things. The US now now I'm talking about the United States, okay? So if you're listening from another country, I don't know what those limitations are off the top of my head, but be pretty easy to find with Dr. Google. Uh, but the USDA is currently only allowing about 120 parts per million of nitrates in hot dogs and bacon, okay? But then after they are processed, cured, right? Salt is added in the curing process. The net amount of nitrites, nitrates is only about 10 parts per million. So the USDA is going to allow up to 120 parts per million. But after you process and cure the meat, you're only left with about 10 parts per million in a hot dog, in some bacon. Let's compare that to vegetables. A serving of arugula. 4,677 parts per million. Basil, 2,292 parts per million. Butter lettuce, 2,026 
parts per million. And again, we're comparing this to a total maximum allowance of 120, 120 parts per million in processed meats, which after the curing process is more like 10 parts per million. And we're talking about in the thousands for many vegetables like beets over 1,200, spinach just over 1,000 parts per million, right? So we have to keep this in context. A lot of this, I mean, people spend up on the nitrate-free stuff, and it's generally speaking because we have a lack of understanding. And that's okay. We, we do what we do until we know better, right? Like, no big deal. No big deal. But when we know better, we do better, right? The other thing to keep in mind is that the half-life of nitrites or nitrates within the body is only about one to five hours. So the majority of it is going to be excreted in your urine within a matter of hours, within a matter of hours. This is very significant to know and understand when it comes to the realities of things like bacon and processed meats. Now, are there other things that can be concerning in processed meats? Yeah, just like processed anything, right? Let's talk about red meat and then I'll, I'll kind of come to my recommendations and my suggestions and things like that as we as we wind down. Are there some risks with red meat? Sure, of course there are. Are there also risks with fish, right? We hear all the time about the toxins like mercury in some fish, right? Just like we hear about hormones in some dairy products and the pesticides in some fruits and vegetables. You see where I'm going here? We could make an argument for carcinogens in everything, everything. And we have to consider the relative risk. Think back to that category one, oral contraceptives, sunlight, alcoholic beverages. You see where I'm going here? Now, one thing I want to talk about related to red meat and the studies suggesting, and entire books written, suggesting that red meat uh, increases your risk for cancer or death also. Here's the challenge with them, and there's many, but the majority of these things are epidemiological studies. And so what they're looking at is basically correlation, right? Things that are linked, but not necessarily having a causal relationship. They do not prove that even though they might look at people who say died younger or had a higher incidence of cancer and see, oh, well, they ate more red meat, but they don't look at the other factors, right? Sure, they might be eating more red meat, but is that have, does that have anything to do with why they developed cancer or why they died? They're not controlling for other factors, right? Are they smoking more? Are they exercising less? Do they have higher rates of diabetes? Generally, do they have higher body mass index? There are so many different factors that are generally not even remotely controlled for. And this is the other thing to keep in mind. When a group of people is eating more of one type of thing, like whether it's dairy products or red meat or alcohol, they're usually eating more of everything. They're usually eating more of everything. So they're eating more processed foods and they're drinking more alcohol and all those other things. And we don't see control for those factors, which are very significant. Chris Kresser does a really great job uh, explaining what we would have to do very specifically. And this is sort of 
I guess coming from a science background, this is like, well, of course, obviously. But when you put out these sensationalist media headlines, the average consumer, the average individual doesn't question the research methodology. But to prove that red meat increases cancer risk or death, you would have to take two groups, right? And put them on two different diets, one that is very low in total red meat and one that is very high. But then you have to make sure that every single other thing is identical, that they're all not smoking, that they're all not sleep deprived, that they are all at the same level of physical activity, that they all have equal risk factors for things like diabetes or heart disease or whatever else, that they eat the same exact amount of fruits and vegetables and dairy products and alcohol. Everything else has to be completely identical. Otherwise, you don't know the contributing factor. You don't know the contributing factor. It could be inactivity. It could be dairy consumption. It could be a lack of fruits and vegetables or body weight. And I'm sure you guys have heard this one is very commonly used, um, a commonly used example about the weakness of these kinds of studies that are often cited. So in Florida, we see that ice cream sales increase at the same time that shark attacks increase, right? So if we use the same logic, then basically you say that shark attacks are related to ice cream consumption, right? Or that eating ice cream increases your risk of being eaten by a shark or attacked by a shark. But might we also say, hmm, could be the season, right? Shark attacks are more likely in warmer weather and ice cream sales go up in warmer weather. Or it's a probability thing. When there are more people at the beach, you have more ice cream sales and then you have a higher statistical chance just based on pure numbers. Like if there's two people at the beach, there's a far less chance of a shark attack than if there is, you know, 200,000 people at the beach. Do you know what I'm saying? So there are so many other factors and it's really no different when we look and we say, oh, well, people who eat more red meat have a higher rate of cancer or have a higher risk of mortality. Or Listen, it's just correlation. We cannot assume that there is causation, especially when these studies do not control for very, very important factors like physical activity and obesity and diabetes and alcohol consumption and all this other stuff. Okay. So these, when we look at, and I'm going to link to a lot of this research over on the show notes at primalpotential.com in case you're a dork like me, or you just really feel like you want to do your homework and feel like you're very well informed about this. We do not see a relationship between red meat intake and cancer that is statistically significant when we control for other variables. That matters, guys. That really matters. That is very, very, very relevant. Very relevant. When we control for other factors, we do not see a statistically significant relationship between red meat and cancer. Now, that's not to say eat red meat with abandon, like I said at the beginning, moderation in all things. But the other thing that we do repeatedly see, what is a statistically significant relationship, is that red meat intake is correlated to 
other lifestyle factors like increased intake of sugar, processed foods, alcohol, lower intake of fruit, vegetables, and fiber, lower physical activity, and higher body mass index. Do you think any of those things might have an impact on cancer risk or mortality? Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one other thing that came out related to these statements about the risk of bacon or processed meats and red meat, most of the time when we're talking about red meat, it is cooked at much higher temperatures because we're talking about things like grilling and searing. And those things do generate toxins. And I've talked about this in the previous episodes. I did an episode on something called advanced glycation end products. Advanced glycation end products, which are known carcinogens, and they accelerate the aging process. And one of the ways that they are generated, but not the only way, right? Breathing, we we expose ourselves to advanced glycation end products. But when we char meat, or really char anything, but when we cook at very high temperatures, and oftentimes bacon, unless you like it soggy, in which case you're weird, I don't get you. I like my bacon crispy and full of advanced glycation end products. But when we cook red meat, we're all we're often grilling it or cooking it on very high temperatures, getting that sear. Same thing with bacon. A lot of people want that crispy, crunchy, charred thing. That does increase the carcinogens, period, end of discussion. Cooking with lower heat is certainly a lower risk than cooking on higher heats. That is a very real thing. I will give them that all day long. But you have to consider, too, the relative risk. If you are consuming that grilled burger instead of, I don't know, a pizza, and you are therefore reducing your risk of diabetes and obesity, that is significant. So we cannot just look at one thing without considering all the other factors. And we need to practice perspective. We know without a shadow of a doubt that sugar causes all sorts of problems, big problems, depression, trouble focusing, inflammation. It feeds um, pathogenic bacteria in your body. It feeds cancer. But we're not seeing... World Health Organization headlines like frosted flakes cause cancer. Frosted flakes are just as bad as tobacco. But we very well could. In fact, the science is stronger there. And we know that there are hormones and toxins and nicotine and prescription drugs coming through the municipal water supply. But we're not seeing showering is worse than smoking, right? And we know and have talked about many times in the show that a lot of coffee contains Toxins, mycotoxins, and mold. And people are drinking a lot more coffee than they are eating bacon or processed meats, or at least if you're me like me or you love your coffee like I do. But we're not seeing those kinds of headlines. And and I'm not suggesting that we should either. I'm suggesting that we don't need to necessarily panic over everything because if we do, we will need to be bubble boy. And even then, the air in the bubble isn't safe. So, I mean, like, you're just screwed. It's about managing your risk factors and moving along this spectrum. Moving along your own individual spectrum towards improved choices, right? Whether it's little things like getting a water filter or it's increasing your intake of fruits and vegetables, decreasing your intake of processed foods and sugars, uh, purchasing organic or hormone-free when you can and when it makes sense, right? Because we have to remember, if you're if you think that you're going to increase your risk of disease, switching from 
McDonald's hash browns and a chicken biscuit to bacon and eggs, you're not, right? I personally feel strongly that you're decreasing your risk. And if you think that you're increasing your risk, switching from spaghetti and meat sauce and garlic bread to a steak and baked potato, I don't think that's true. I think you're decreasing your risk, right? There are, like I said earlier, there are forms of dairy products, types of dairy products that are full of sugar and are very pro-inflammatory, that are full of bovine growth hormone that we ingest into our bodies. And I don't know about you, but I don't need cow's growth hormones in my body. Like I take care of growth perfectly okay on my own with my own human hormones. Don't give me any cow growth hormones. But most dairy products have RBGH or recombinant bovine growth hormone. So we could create this alarm with everything, but I think if we just focus on our own spectrum of improved choices, we will be doing ourselves much more of a service. And I alluded to this earlier, but I want to mention it again because I think it's a a big part of the perspective here. Opportunity cost is a huge factor. And let's say just for the sake of example, that I ask you, is it a good deal to take a million dollars and put it into an investment that is going to yield 10% return? You'd be like, yeah, I mean, that's a great deal. Well, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a terrible deal because what if the other option was taking that million dollars and putting it into an investment making 25% return? Well, that makes the first one a pretty crappy deal in comparison because you pay a great opportunity cost. You're missing out on a lot and we kind of have to look at food this way too. It's relative to the alternative. And I really am a fan of moderation in all things. I don't advocate high fat. I advocate moderate fat, what works for your body. Same thing with protein. I do not advocate a high protein diet. I advocate a moderate protein diet, right? And I will not argue with their recommendation for focusing on fish and vegetables. I think fish and vegetables are awesome. But at the same time, some fish can be loaded with toxins. And if it's farm-raised fish, it's loaded with all sorts of other things as well. And same things with vegetables. Some vegetables are constantly treated with um, pesticides and uh, toxins and herbicides and all sorts of things that can be really, really dangerous for you. So you can find an argument against everything, air, sunlight, water, food, And I'm not saying that there isn't merit in it, but you have to look at the global picture and go back to the four questions that I talk about very regularly on the show. I think we all need to look at our own individuality. Does this choice, whether it's bacon, whether it's red meat, whether it's a water filter, whatever it is, does this represent an improvement for me based on my baseline, my starting point? Does this represent an improvement for me? Question two, how do I feel when I eat it? Does it satisfy my hunger? Does it give me energy? Does it drain my energy, right? Do I feel amazing? Do I feel like I have, you know, more energy, more vibrant, I'm more positive, I'm more focused, my body feels good, I have less joint pain? How do I feel when I eat this thing or do this thing or stop doing this thing? Number three, do I love it? Is it sustainable for me, right? For a lot of people, Egg whites and chicken breast and broccoli is not sustainable, right? But switching to bacon and eggs is sustainable. So that is a factor if it means that you're skipping the freaking Pop-Tarts or the Frosted Flakes. And then number four, and most importantly, I think, what are my results when I do this? I can tell you for myself that 
My cholesterol cut in half. My HDL almost doubled. My triglycerides were slashed. My body weight obviously dropped significantly. My energy is through the roof. My hormones are balanced. My menstrual cycles used to be non-existent. Now I'm clockwork and totally predictable. My doctors say I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel healthier, more physically able. I'm sleeping better than ever. Your results matter tremendously, right? And I want to really challenge everybody to focus on your best choices. What is my best choice in this situation and on your progress? What is my body telling me about this choice? And when it comes to practical implementation, red meat, processed meats, all of that sort of thing, let's talk about priorities. In general, less processed is going to be better than more processed, right? Are there bacons that are more processed than others? Yeah, absolutely, right? Just like there are hamburgers that are more processed. Have you ever seen that video of the McDonald's hamburger? That is very, very different than from going to your grocery store and getting ground meat there that has not been like hyper-processed into something that resembles a grayish, brownish patty. Do you see what I'm saying? Just like there's bad chicken, right? When you see the videos of like the factory farmed chickens that are then pulverized and same thing with fish. There's low quality fish that's been farm raised or big fish that eat other fish that increase the mercury content of that fish. I challenge you when it comes to practical implementation, instead of being like, just tell me what to eat, consider this. How far away is this food item from its natural state? If you cannot identify its natural origin, like, okay, with a chicken thigh. So it was a chicken and they cut off its thigh. And in this case, they removed the skin. That's how I, like, I have a very clear understanding. But if I'm talking about salami, um, I'm not really sure. And I'm not being a smart ass here. I, I really, I'm not sure. I, I'm not really sure that processing thing. So generally speaking, or an Oreo, It started as, I have no freaking idea. I have absolutely no freaking idea. Or an apple, you're like, apple grows on tree, apple falls, collect apple, put on truck, right? So we have to think about how far is this from its natural state? Challenge yourself to do that. Have those conversations with your kids. If you're eating something, like this pizza started as... Okay, so there was a wheat plant and we took it and we ground it. You know what I mean? Like you want as few degrees of separation from its natural state, ideally, all the time. No, we're not in this for perfection. But I really challenge yourself to kind of consider that common sense approach. If you're unsure, then it probably goes on the moderate list or the very infrequently list. And from practical implementation standpoint, too, we have to acknowledge that obesity is a massive Massive, massive risk for cancer, for heart disease, for for mortality, for Alzheimer's. You freaking name it. Obesity is a huge risk. So you have to weigh the opportunity cost. If you are currently shedding body fat, feeling amazing, and you're having bacon four or five times a week, honestly, I mean, you have to make the decision for you. But for my body, I'm going to let my results be my guide. And I am going to know that the greatest risk for my health individually, for me personally, was my obesity. That is a undeniable, pure, understood, proven risk. It's not like, well, it could, it couldn't. I mean, that is that is just a real truth that we need to address. Less processed 
is always better than more processed. Fewer toxins is always better than more toxins. When you can, going organic, grass-fed, or wild-caught is going to be a healthier option in most cases than not. When it comes to processed meats, play the game with yourself. This started as... And then, and then, and then, and if you get to the point where you're like, I, I really don't know. And with some things, maybe there are those of you out there that like totally understand salami. I don't. So for me, that's going to go on the infrequent list. Am I going to freak out if I eat it? No. I certainly, it's, I certainly understand that it's fewer degrees of separation than a Pop-Tart, right? So that is as part of my spectrum and my personal analysis, but generally we want to be moving towards the end of that spectrum. And I do think it's worth considering more often than not, cook things on lower temperatures, like searing and and frying and grilling are going to be higher temperature modes of cooking. Or anytime you char something, and I love my bacon crispy, and I love my Brussels sprouts a little bit crispy, but I do that more infrequently than other methods of cooking because I understand the carcinogens that are generated in that cooking process, but I also know that my relative risk is lower than if I were going to go get a pizza. Because one of the best things I can do to control my disease risk is stay healthy and lean with a reasonable body fat percentage because obesity is my biggest risk. All right. I feel like I've been like, but I wanted to get all that out there. Before I go into what I ate yesterday, I want to remind you guys that a lot of these links to the research is over on the show notes at primalpotential.com. If you want to see the list of carcinogens and how they're ranked, that is over there on primalpotential.com. And If you want that carb cheat sheet, if you want to be on that free VIP email list, play with my new technology that I'm so proud of myself for. Text the word PRIMAL to 44222 to get your cheat sheet and get on the list. All right, what I ate yesterday. So (laughs) you guys are going to be like, what? Um, Because I ate something that I don't normally eat. But I had two workouts yesterday and they were both very, very challenging for me. Started the day pretty typically with black coffee. Actually had a pre-workout meal, which I normally don't do. I had two eggs, two slices of bacon, um, and two cups of shredded cabbage. After my workout, I had a handful of mixed nuts because I was really hungry, um, and then some leftover spaghetti squash, which I mentioned the other day I'm totally loving. It was leftovers, so it was the same stuff topped with ground beef, garlic, onions, sun-dried tomatoes. Then I had, um, in between lunch and dinner, I had an apple with cinnamon, a raw apple sprinkled with cinnamon, and I kind of joke because I don't usually eat fruit, um, but I'm, I'm changing things up a little bit to try some new things with my body, and so I had that apple. I love apples, especially in the fall, uh, so that's what I had in between lunch and dinner. And then dinner was about two cups of Brussels sprouts, two chicken thighs, and a medium sweet potato, and the sweet potato and the apple were really relative to the fact that my two workouts were very, very hard. Speaking of workouts. I did ask you guys to give me feedback on whether or not you would find that valuable for me to add. I think what I'm going to do is add it on the VIP email list as a weekly summary of my workouts. Um, And the reason I say that is because the feedback has been mixed about the podcast. And 
And I think it'd be easier for you guys to access it if you're on the VIP email list. You can easily pull it up as opposed to having to listen through a whole podcast episode to remember like, oh, what was Elizabeth's workout? And if I do it in the podcast, you're only seeing three days. Maybe one of those is a rest day. Uh, Whereas if I do a recap on the weekly email, then you'll see my whole week of workouts. So that's what I'm thinking just to kind of give you guys an update on that. All right. Bacon. It's your choice. If you're freaking out about it, let it go. Don't eat bacon. It's not a big deal. There are plenty of other options, right? If you're freaking out about the red meat, don't eat red meat. There's plenty of other options, right? Find a way to get your iron, but focus on fish, focus on chicken, focus on turkey, focus on whatever you want. Seafood, doesn't matter. Um, It's your call. Do your homework. Make the decision that's right for you, but consider what is your spectrum, where you are along the spectrum, and if if the choices you are making represent an improvement to you or not. So I hope you found this episode helpful. I would love your feedback. Text the word PRIMAL to 44222, and I will talk to you guys very soon. Have a great day.